Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galanti along with T. Frank Carr. T. Frank, how are you doing this week, my friend? I am doing great. It is going to be a great week of football. The whiteout coming up. Like I say, the most exciting atmosphere in college football. That is not really even up for debate. And we get to talk about it. We get to preview it uh, all week long. I'm super excited about that. I love hearing that kind of enthusiasm, T. Frank. I love college football. I love the whiteout. Can't wait for that game. We need to finish up on Illinois first. Before we get to that, though, T. Frank, I just want to mention to our listeners out there who are used to listening to our podcast, T. Frank, we're now available on video, aren't we? Yeah, the the magic of radio. If you want to know what we actually look like, you can go to Blue White Illustrated's YouTube channel. Just go to uh, YouTube and search Blue White Illustrated, Blue White Illustrated podcast. Any of those things will bring up the Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel. And we're on there every Wednesday, 10 a.m. We have a live rebroadcast of the show. So uh, if you want to watch and you want to see all of my weird facial expressions that uh, come up when I'm talking about football, I do not have a poker face. So you get a good idea of like how I actually feel about the things I'm talking about. Uh, and one other quick thing this week, whiteout game, uh, bluewhiteillustrated.com. We got a great sale going on right now, 50% off membership. So you can check that out too. Fantastic deal. And they have great stuff. Of course, their team is led by T Frank, but there's a oh, lot yeah. of other great, great, great teammates that T Frank has there. And for those of you watching us on YouTube who don't get the rest of our stuff, on our podcast, you could get some great stuff from us. Also, we have links to some other folks. All you got to do, download our app. That's the best way yeah. to get everything we have. Just go to Keystone Sports and you'll see some great stuff there. All right, T. Frank, enough with the commercials. Let's get to the football. Let's talk Illinois. For a 30-13 to 13 road win, there was still a lot of, angst anxiety (laughs) by the penn state fans and watching this game especially in the situation where penn state had the ball and illinois was on defense what exactly did the illinois do that frustrated penn state's offense so much um you know it's always a complicated answer there's not a simple here's what happened x is the reason it's always a multi-layered interconnected game plan but it starts with the fact that illinois has a strong three-man defensive line running inside running your base offense basically for every team is not a great plan against illinois so what you have to do is you have to find creative ways to get around the defensive tackles to not run directly at them either make them chase you run outside use quarterback numbers however you want to do it finding ways to hit the edges of this defense and for Penn State they don't have a lot of what we've seen so far and this is the important thing like what we've seen so far Penn State has shown in the past they can run different stuff to the outside but so far what they've done this year they've run outside zone which is a quasi like you're aiming outside of um, you know the the B gap or the C gap primarily and then you have uh, some of their man blocking systems where they add on those tight ends and your aiming point is closer to like we're running to the tight ends we're going to run outside we're going to try and get the little people involved in blocking and our tight ends are going to make plays and you're going to get explosive runs 
And that's what we saw. Like Penn State didn't really deviate from what they had done all year long, which is they ran that outside zone action. They ran um, their man blocking schemes, condensed fronts. And when you do that against Jerzon Newton, he's going to make problems for your team. They actually did a better job, I think, of blocking the front seven for uh, Illinois than it seemed on by the result. But Illinois put eight in the box. There's an extra man. There's an extra defender. That's on the running back to make that guy miss. And Penn State didn't consistently do that. And when they did do that, you saw Catron Allen with a back-breaking run that set up a halfback pass touchdown late in the third quarter. So it was for all the old heads out there that love the war of attrition, this was a war of attrition. They didn't go on 13 play drives, but with the defense giving them the ball back, they ran the ball consistently. They never abandoned it. Maybe they ran into some bad looks, but they they were able to eventually wear that team out because you look at the final two runs from Singleton and Allen that results in 18 yards and I think 20 yards or something like that. One of them's a touchdown. That's the result of continuing to grind on the ground and getting those those front three tired because when they're not in the game, it's an entirely different defense for Illinois, and they knew that, so they rarely came off the field on Saturday. T. Frank, and maybe this is a layperson oversimplifying things, but when you say Illinois is putting eight players in the box, is there not a fairly straight way to counteract that? Throwing the ball? <laughs> there, there, yeah, there is and there isn't. Um, especially if you're coming in the game plan with 12 with 12 personnel having two tight ends on the field. This is kind of the 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 big thing pregame is that Trey Wallace was questionable and did not go on Saturday. So you lose one of the two receivers that we've heard is the most dependable. So that that provides you with some, with with some issues from putting your three receivers out there, spreading the field and forcing Illinois to cover more ground, because that's what aside from, you know, the template that Kansas set of running the ball laterally and using their quarterback to stretch everything, you know, sideline to sideline and forcing those big, strong football players to play with athleticism to play laterally. They also were able to spread the ball and throw that way. Penn state did not have their full complement of receivers and they have just, in general, committed to this 12 personnel. So when you bring things tight into the formation and you're running routes in the tackle box with all nine people, you've, you've put all the people in the places that you're running the routes. So like there is less space when you condense the formation and create less space. There's also some things that Illinois was doing when Penn State did try to spread and throw the football that was really interesting in terms of uh, lying to the offense. A lot of times when you motion pre-snap, you're trying to get a gauge of what are we doing here defensively? We're trying to get a tell. And if, if a defender runs with the receiver in the motion, that's an indication this is man coverage. Illinois was motioning with the receiver and dropping to zones. So they were, they were lying to the quarterback who was going through all of this the first time. That's what we talked about with Drew Aller. And this was going to be a test for him from not just the the defense and what we thought they might be preseason, but also seeing things he may maybe has never seen before or atypical coverage decisions. And that's what you got from Illinois. So they actually got Penn State a couple of times to run man cover man passing schemes into zone coverages, which effectively killed the play. And then Drew Aller made great decisions to not throw the football to the other team and tuck it and run and get those extra yards. And in some of those two minute situations, got first downs, got yardage, and set them up for 
a field goal to go into halftime, which is that's great quarterback play that you're not going to give the same credit for because he didn't throw the football. But those were great decisions by Drew Aller. Speaking of decisions by Drew Aller, one of the things, and I took note of this in watching the, the replay of the game, and I guess I'm the typical fan, T. Frank. I'm going to overreact to a single play. And yeah. it seems on the surface that uh, Penn State would run like a zone read where Drew Aller puts the ball in the running back's gut and then has the option of pulling it out and running it himself. Yep. It doesn't feel like he does that, though. And there was a specific play where I saw that, and Drew Aller, he follows through as if, okay, I could possibly still have the ball, and he runs it out. And there yep. was just a gaping hole that he, you know, followed through on the fake. Is is that it? what I saw on that one play? Is that an issue? Is that something that they have, could have done? Could Drew so is this the play where Juzan, is this the, hold on. Is this the is this the play where Jazan Newton tackles Nick Singleton, like just runs down the line and destroys Singleton? Is in the first quarter. I, I think that's the play you're referring to, and I'm just going to say it is for the the function of this answer. Uh, yes, it is a situation where Drew Aller is not the same runner that we've seen in the past from Penn State quarterbacks. So one of the things, and again, copy what they did the previous week and then make it your own. Penn State saw on film that Kansas made the defensive tackles, specifically Jerzon Newton, the read defender, instead of the defensive end or the end guy on the line of scrimmage, whether it's a linebacker or a defensive end. They made the defensive tackle read. And that means you're putting that guy in conflict. Well, Jerzon Newton, on the play that we're going to say you're referencing, um, he does not respect the fact that Drew Aller is going to keep the ball. And he just attacks the, the dive, you know, the, the, the running back, and he gets a tackle for no gain. There is a big gap in, in the B gap because he knows Drew Aller's not going to keep the ball, and Drew Aller did not keep the ball. So that's an area where, yes, if, you, if, if you're talking about why Kansas had success and Penn State didn't, they don't have the same pieces. This was from a base offense versus base defense. If we run what we normally run, this was a disadvantage for Penn State because they matched up with strengths. They matched up with these things. And Penn State, when they only ran that look a couple of times, the first time, the tackle for no game. End of the game, Penn State gets a big play. And I talked about that in the film room uh, on Monday. And that was, or I'm sorry, on Sunday. That was a big part of, you know, watching the overall, talking again about that attrition of, Drazon Newton is gassed by the end of the game because he's been playing the entire time. And it's hard work wrecking a bunch of plays. Eventually, you're not going to be able to wreck every play. Okay, T. Frank, this leads to the next question on this, and I'm going to ask it. Bo Prabula as an mm -hmm. option to put in there. Now, I think James Franklin is bluffing about using Bo Prabula early in a game as a changeup, as a different look. My yep. theory being, if there was ever a time to get that different look in there, would this not have been that game? Did you clone my cell phone? I texted that to about <laughs> two people watching the film last week. I was like, if there's ever a time for Bo, the bow package, it's this week because that would unlock a lot of stuff. And I think you even saw it at the end of the game with Perbula and his success running the football. Having that extra defender, when you put eight in the box and there are seven run blockers, the quarterback not a part of the run game, that is the, that is the classic advantage in football that we've talked about for generations. The, the dual threat quarterback has 
made it so that if you do that, not only can the quarterback run the football, but we've installed the triple option back into football where he can run the football or now he can pull and throw and you've got one-on-one in the secondary. You've got basically basketball outside where we've condensed the formation and we've put everything on the corners to cover 50 yards with receivers. And by the way, those receivers in modern football, if it's a good football team, they are super fast and super athletic. So yeah, that's where the quarterback run game in this particular situation was not a part, but Penn State was still able to find an offense that got enough opportunities that threw the football and won the game. Because ultimately they were able to get enough situations in the passing game where they got one-on-one, they kept Newton at bay, Aller found the right guy and delivered the football. And they were able to win the game by 17 points. T. Frank, whenever I'm told I'm thinking like you when we're talking about football, I'll take that as a major compliment. T. Frank, that's it for quarter number one. Stick around quarter number two. We're going to talk about Penn State's defense. Stay tuned. Hey, it's T. Frank. Today's show is brought to you by RogueShop.com. Always happy to talk to you about RogueShop because they have helped me in a lot of different ways. And the main way for me is with sleep. I love football season. I love my job, but it is a grind sometimes. It is 12 hours a day, six to seven days a week. And I'm not joking about that. That's my schedule and how much I am working during football season. And sometimes I have a hard time winding down. I can't turn off my brain. Well, in those situations, I reach for, as I reach for, RogueShop.com. These are the THC gummies. You take them uh, maybe an hour before bed, and then you're able to fall asleep naturally and stay asleep throughout the night, which is my problem and what I have been helped with a lot with RogueShop.com. Sleep is a big thing, but they also can help you with pain, anxiety, and a bunch of other things that THC and CBD have shown to, to help out and to manage because this is about managing some chronic situations uh, and, and helping you live a better, more holistic life. Rogueshop.com, for those who don't know, is a small distribution company in Wisconsin specializing in these top-shelf, family-grown hemp products. And they can help you learn what you need and uh, which one of their products would be best for you. That's my favorite part of what they do is because I don't know what I'm doing. THC is legal. You know, this is a new thing, and they know all the information. They can help you point you in the right direction. So check out RogueShop.com. Use promo code BWI for 10% off your purchase at RogueShop.com. Hello, and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number two. He is T. Frank. I'm Jim. We're talking Penn State, Illinois. Penn State would have 30 to 13 road win last Saturday. T. Frank, I want to get to Penn State's defense, but before we get there, I think it's worth at least mentioning with when Illinois had the ball, Penn State's offense, Penn State's offense didn't get stymied just by Illinois' defense. They shot themselves in the foot enough times also. And again, yeah. watching the replay where you're, you know what's going to happen, so watching the game differently and you, you start to say, okay, what was the price to pay? Malik McLean, two drops, both of them would have been for a first down. And guess yep. what? They end up pun- punting. They never did get the first down. Um, the couple penalties turned third and one in the third and six, third and two in the third and 17. Again, they didn't convert the first down then. They gave up possession. And it, it's also, I wanted to ask you about one last play, which was 
Penn State on the two-yard line, I thought the pass to Catron Allen was as good a pass as Drew Aller threw all day mm-hmm. and went through his hands. That's four points off the board right there. So Penn State did did themselves in also. It wasn't just Illinois, correct? Yeah, I mean, and that's that's kind of a um, it, that that's a a thing everyone can see in terms of that you you can't do those things and then expect to consistently overcome them. The area, and I'll I'll just I'll twist this because you, you nailed it. There's not really much for me to add on top of those things. Katron Allen had the ball in in his bread basket. I'll say it was a good play by the defensive end to tomahawk over top and punch that out. But Allen had the ball in his hands with enough time to secure it before that happened. He needed to catch that football the t formation and and it's funny how like it's it converts a, almost 100 percent of the time and then when it doesn't Penn State fans start to get really nervous um one of the things that happened at the goal line was illinois is uniquely positioned with jerzon newton to do some things that most teams can't they had two defensive linemen to the left side of the formation one of them though was newton so they were banking on, okay, we know you always run outside the tackles in this play. You always hit the edges. We'll give you the middle, and you try and stop this guy, and we'll overcommit to the outside, and it worked. If Penn State wants to, again, we talk about evolving the T formation. They need to have some way to fall forward, go through the A-gap, some of those things, not just the quarterback sneak, in order to stop teams from hedging so much to the outside. That's an adjustment I'm going to be looking for after this game because there was a gap and a half on that third down play where Penn State runs to the outside with Nick Singleton. And, you know, you're asking a lot of the left side of the line to stop Newton, who's already in position to stop that play. Well, I'm going to give Illinois some credit there. Just the way you described it was what it seemed like watching the game. Illinois was one step, their defense was one step ahead of Penn State's offense, it seemed. Let's go the other way, though. Let's talk about Penn State's defense, which seemed to be at least a step ahead of Illinois' offense uh, throughout the day. And let's talk about a couple specific plays, T. Frank. I was intrigued by Abdul Carter's interception, and Mm -hmm. it was pretty obvious, and Joel Klatt seemed to have that. You have Abdul Carter on the line of scrimmage. If you're a quarterback, you've got to be very conscious of that. And next thing you know, he's back in coverage making an interception. So that play in particular highlighted something coming into the game that I was keying in on with Luke Altmeyer. And Abdul Carter said it after the game. He said he's pretty much a one-read guy. You can follow his eyes to the football is more or less what he said. And that's what you saw against the other teams. And, and before I answer your question there, I want to kind of set up what Penn State knew coming into this game based off the first two games. I don't like Illinois' passing attack. Surprise. Um, because most of it is gimmicky. It's an extension of the run game. So they're running a spread offense with a running quarterback, but they're not actually running football plays and in in, you know as many passing plays to threaten the full field. It's a lot of pick your receiver before the snap, or this is going to be an RPO or, or a determined play, a screen play. It's really heavy in college stuff. We're not trusting your quarterback. So when Penn State put Luke Altmeyer in that situation that he has to read a zone blitz, and what that was was Penn State was either in a, in, I believe, based on the way that they played it, they were in a 
cover four system, which is four deep defenders and then two guys, three guys underneath. And Altmeyer, I'm assuming he read Kalen King. Kalen King is playing, uh, he's playing that like man coverage, even though it's a zone, because he can on that play for a, a couple of different reasons. So I'm assuming Altmeyer saw the, the safeties drop back. He see he reads man from the corner, so he thinks he's got a window, but he never actually looks to see if Abdul Carter is there. So he throws into the zone because of what Penn State did in that situation. And that goes to a broader sense of does our quarterback read the coverage well? And when he was forced to read in the first two games, he did not do a great job. He locked on to receivers. He um, scrambled and ran instead of like read the coverage and knew where to go with the football. So when he throws that first interception, Penn State is baiting him into that. And that's how that particular one happened. The other ones are a little bit different. And it goes to the other part of how he plays, which is if you play man coverage, he can pick out the right decision and throw to the right receiver. But sometimes that right receiver is running down the sideline and that's a hard completion. So Penn State is willing to give you that opportunity. And on a couple of those plays, we saw what happened. Well, that leads up very nicely to the next question I had, which was about Daquan Hardy's interception. And yeah. T. Frank, you know, this slot defender was covering a receiver on an island on the outside. And to your point, it was man-to-man. He had the receiver was running up the sideline. But Daquan Hardy, who I'm a big fan of, and you and I agreed a year ago, he didn't have as good a season as he had two years ago. Yeah. But that was vintage Daquan Hardy because it wasn't like the – he had blanket coverage on him right from the line of scrimmage is what I saw. Yeah, so in these situations, the this is what we're talking about. So Manny Diaz is willing to give you the go ball, the nine route going straight down the field. You've got to throw it into that tight window. And in this situation, Daquan Hardy doesn't have a two-way go. He knows he's got the sideline as his friend. So that you play that to the inside. And this is another thing you, you saw on film of Altmeyer on these deep passes where he's not super accurate throwing the ball down the field. They got some good completions to Williams in a couple of games, but he's throwing either back shoulder or the receiver makes a good play going up over top because he left the ball inside or low. And when you leave the ball inside, that gives a play for the defensive back. And if you look and you go back and you watch those two interceptions, the Penn State defensive back is in better position because they have great technique and they're in the right spot. So when they turn their head around, and the ball isn't over their head, they th he threw it right to them because that's what he had done on film before. So against, not to do this, but against Ohio State, that is a different proposition where you've got better receivers and better quarterbacks. So that's going to be a better throw for that team. But when you go against most quarterbacks, all quarterbacks, you saw Penn State, they gave up one to uh, Jalen Reed in coverage against Williams, the, the slot receiver. But then there was an overthrow and two interceptions on that play. So Penn State is betting on the averages of we're going to be in better position and you're going to not throw as good of a football as you think you are in that situation. And two of them, when they were inside or they tried to throw back shoulder, Penn State saw it coming, read it, and intercepted it. And when, when fans or when people look at that and they say, well, those were gifts, it's just like, you're, like they always say, like you have to work hard to be in position for luck to happen, like in your career or in your life or whatever. It's the same thing with coverage. Like you have to work hard to be in the right position so that when you get a crappy football thrown at you, you can catch it. And that's what happened on those plays. 
T. Frank, one of my favorite sayings of all time is luck is when preparation meets opportunity. That's what I was trying to say, but I don't have the wise old idioms totally ingrained in my head. Well, I'll accept the old part. Wise, eh, I'm not so sure. There was one more play I wanted to ask you about, which was not an interception, but a near interception by Chop Robinson. Yeah. Hey, Frank, he's a defensive end. He's a lineman. What's he doing back in coverage? So the same thing as Abdul Carter. It's a zone blitz. So when you zone, the, the idea of a zone blitz is we're going to send pressure to a certain part of the line, but we don't want to give up anything in coverage. So we're going to drop somebody. And this is where Penn State's defensive ends being so athletic is a help. They practice this all the time because zone blitzing and blitzing and out, all outright blitzing, everything's part of Manny Diaz's defense. So they need to be able to do this. So it's just they're bringing guys from the other side and they're dropping him into coverage to replace a linebacker or a corner. And he plays his zone correctly. And once again, I don't remember if that was Altmaier or the backup quarterback at that point, but they were not doing a job sophisticated enough reading the coverage to know where those zone droppers were. That was a problem of theirs the whole time. And that goes back to what is your offense? What is your plan? And for Illinois, their plan is to run the football, play safe, and don't you dare throw the football. Don't you dare do something interesting or creative with the football because that leads to interceptions. And when you have that mentality, you attract quarterbacks in situations like this when you, when you play a good defense. And that's, that's really, to me, when I'm looking at Illinois' offense, that's the frustrating part is it's almost self-limiting. And they, that's where they put themselves because that's what they are aspiring to be in certain sense, in a certain sense. And by the way, I think it's worth noting back to Abdul Carter's interception that it was Johnny Dixon, a cornerback, who was putting pressure on the quarterback on, on that particular play. Speaking of Chop Robinson, though, and the defensive ends, the numbers aren't there as far as sacks goes for the defensive ends, Penn State. Yeah. Any cause for the concern? Sometimes those kind of no. statistics can be, uh, you know, deceptive. No, um, you know, they got 10 total pressures between the Adisa Isaac and Chop Robinson in the game. Um, yeah, sacks haven't been there, but just think about. OK, so this is this is the way I'll phrase it. You can get sacks or you can get interceptions. You can't get both on the same play. And the pressure created bad looks from the quarterback who threw the ball to the other team. So the pressure is the building block of the bad throw. Chop Robinson, Adisa Isaac, Abdul Carter, Curtis Jacobs, Zane Durant, they were all getting through. They were putting pressure on the quarterback to create the bad throw. And so if you don't get those sacks, you are getting the opportunity to catch the football. So it is in certain games, quarterbacks that, that are conservative and don't want to throw the football down the field when they're under pressure, they're going to get more sacks. This was a game where they, uh, they had four combined between the two starting defensive ends coming into this game in terms of total pressure. Then they got 10 together in uh, one game. So sacks aren't there, but the nature of the defense is affecting the offense in a fundamental way. Illinois did not want to throw the football. They didn't want to throw the football down the field. They were forced to do that. And we saw what happened when they did. Very good, T. Frank. That is it for quarter number two. Quarter three, come back for that because we're going to take your questions and we're going to ask T. Frank. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number three. 
You know what that means. It's time to ask T. Frank. This is where we take your questions. We give them to T. Frank. T. Frank gives us the perfect answer. It's a bit nuanced, but it's the perfect mm-hmm. answer. <laughs> People don't like nuance, T. Frank, but they got to <laughs> take their medicine, all right? Yeah. And at the end of the segment, T. Frank will pick out the best question. Whoever it was that sent us the best question, they will win the prize pack from our good friends at 409tailgateclub.com, including their wonderful barbecue coffee rubs. T. Frank. Oh, by the way, if you want to send in your question for T. Frank, remember earlier I talked about it, download our app, Keystone Sports. You will see the Ask T. Frank button there, and away you go. All right, T. Frank, let's start with Matt in Acton, Massachusetts. He says, uh, Jim and T. Frank, I'd like to ask a question following Coach Caduti's comment on seeing the game in the booth versus on the field. He's, of course, talking about Mike Yersich being up in the booth this year. Is there anything the guys in the booth and or the field that they don't see? What are the blind spots from each position, T. Frank? Um, so this is a, hey, uh, ask a coach that question, and I, I, I can't answer with certainty because I've never had to call a game. I've never been in a booth. I've never done any of this. I've never been on the field. So let me just go from some stock answers. When you are in the, if you've ever been in the nosebleed seats and you've been around the 50 yard line, you're watching coaches film. You are watching the entire play. You're watching all the little chess pieces move around. So if you're the offensive coordinator and you're on the field, you might not see, oh, that's how they're rotating their safeties when we do this. They're playing this formation this way because you can't see it. You're looking at helmets. You're looking at shoulder pads. You're not seeing the actual three-dimensional piece. That's why James Franklin has said over and over again, it's the number one place to call a game if you're the offensive coordinator because you get get all the information. What you don't get is the direct eyeball communication with your quarterback of what are you seeing? How are you feeling this from the pass rush, from the coverage? What are the things you're seeing that I can't from a up close view? What are they, you know, those sort of things. And that's where Danny O'Brien, the, uh, the GA now, instead of the a- analyst, he's on the field talking to Drew Aller and to the quarterbacks as they come off the field to get that information to then relay it to Mike Yersich, where Yersich had to gather that information himself. So those are the, the you know, generally what I would say are the differences. But the most important thing is to know what the defense is doing to your offense and to then call the correct plays to attack that. And you, you do that best from the booth. Yeah, I would assume that you could just see so much more in the booth than you can uh, down below. I thought it was interesting that a year ago with a sixth-year senior, Mike Yersich chose to be on the field. This year with the first-year starter, he's choosing to be up in the booth. That would seem to be counterintuitive. That should be that, but that should tell you something about their trust level and their understanding of Drew Aller's personality. He got he got a little rattled in that game. He got off rhythm, is the way Sean Fitz said it on our Monday show, and I think that's correct. But he never lost control because when he had to, he delivered great play and um like really smart football plays, and then he, that dime to Clifford to get uh, thirty five yards and set up a field goal. 
those are those are NFL level decision making and poise under pressure when things aren't going right. It didn't all fall apart because Aller is, as James Franklin has said, he's steady Eddie. He's not unflappable, but he's mostly unflappable. And they trust him that they don't need to coddle him on the sideline as much and have, you know, the, the coordinator right there. I thought what was particularly interesting in this game, T Frank, is I believe we all felt this was not Drew Aller's best game. He was off. There was no rhythm, however you want to describe it. But at the end of the day, the other quarterback threw four interceptions. Yeah. This quarterback didn't throw any. So as rattled or however you want to describe it, he still didn't put the ball into harm's way. Something to be said for that. All right, this was a question that was at least a week old, but I think it could be relevant uh, no matter the week. And this is uh, David from Lancaster who says, was there anything that you saw when watching the film of the game that contradicted what you assumed when you watched it live? It's kind of that on the field versus in the booth question. We're going to ask you, though, T. Frank, live or watching the tape, did you see anything new? Uh, are you talking about like when I watched the game live and then when I watched the game on Sunday? Yes. Like things that showed up that I wasn't expecting. Um, it's just details. It's just little things that you can't necessarily see right away. Even if you, you, you got to watch it a couple times or you got to watch it from the right angle to see certain things. And it's just, it's the impossibility. And when coaches and quarterbacks say like, I have to watch the film to figure out what happened. You to to be a hundred percent sure of what happened. You think you know what happened. You have to then to give a correct factual answer. Go back and watch the film. So just little details. Um, how how they were using coverage, I think, was a big thing that I that I learned upon watching replays. They were shifting what we talked about with the Illinois defense, shifting from uh, a man look to a zone look and creating a lot of deception. That is something that if you're not tuned into it, you're like me, like the quarterback, I look at it pre-snap, I say, okay, that's man, and I'm, you know, I don't always confirm afterwards, okay, that's zone. Or if I do, I don't create the link of it looked like man, and now it's zone. Like, they were using, I had an idea that on third down they were doing something different, but I didn't have the correct verbiage to say they're giving their traditional press man look, they came out and played this man coverage heavy, and then they, they, they pivoted in critical situations. And if there was anything that they did, Illinois, in this game, that was the most creative. That was the best use of breaking their tendencies. Outside of that, I don't know that they did a whole lot different. They just tried to do what they did, but better than against Kansas. In, in watching, for me, I know, T. Frank, and I don't watch it with the same critical eye that you do, but when I watch the replay of the game, it gives me the opportunity to kind of stop and say, oh, wait, all right, Abdul Carter made that interception. But what led to it? Where did he start mm -hmm. to play? You know, and I know that's probably a bad example because live in coverage of the game, they made a point of showing that. But if yeah. they hadn't, that's the kind of thing you can notice on replay that you don't see live because you're thinking too much about the flow. Oh, OK, now Penn State has the ball, has great field position. You're not thinking about what led up to it. Okay, let's uh, let's move on. Let's go to our friend Jimmy in Forest City who says, T. Frank, the TV announcer said Illinois' number four defensive tackle, Newton, was the best player on the field. Blocked mm -hmm. the field goal, a couple of hour passes, and generally was a force. Looking ahead to Ohio State, 
and someone who did the same same last year to us. How do you don't stop know. JT? I don't even want to try his last name. How do you stop yeah. JT from doing what he did last year? I think it's JT Tulamoliao. Um, so I actually, I, I jumped the gun. Like, I, does does Ohio State have a defensive tackle? I don't. I don't know. That that can do what Newton does. Probably not. He's he's a singularly unique talent. Uh, Tulamoliao was was a huge impact in that game, and part of it is having Caden Wallace healthy, right? Having your having your full offensive line, your best football players, and I don't care if you don't think Caden Wallace is a good uh, offensive tackle, he is their best option overall at that position. Having him there, and then the other part is, um, a little bit luck in in game flow. Don't 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 throw interceptions early to then set up a situation where you must throw the football late in the game. And that is where when you give the defense and the opportunity to rush the passer with abandon and to know what's coming, you get into situations like, you know, it's just is Penn State, Illinois, or are they Penn State for the previous game where they weren't ever really forced to throw the football because they always had the option to run? Or are you in a situation where you're down and you have to throw? That's when defense fans can make their most uh, their biggest impact. But on two of those plays from last year, not to dip all the way back, but those were screen passes that he batted into the air. It's a bit of a unique situation. So how do you stop him? Don't throw screen passes at him. Don't try to. But Drew Aller is a better quarterback at throwing with arm angles and throwing around people. So saying it's going to happen again the same way is is, I think, a little bit incorrect. So I, I don't know until we get to game week and see what they're doing this year and what their personality is. I don't really know. I just know that there are ways to scheme around players and we'll see what Penn State's able to do in that week. I like T. Frank. Essentially, you gave the analogous to it hurts when I raise my arm, doctor, then don't raise your arm. If it hurts <laughs> when you throw a screen, don't do it. And by the way, yeah. I think it should also be pointed out. And when we see a, an opposing play or have a big game against Penn State, you think this is an all-world player, and he certainly looked it on that day. But if you talk to Ohio State fans, what they'll say is, where was that in all these other games? You know, he showed up for Penn State. So don't assume because he did that in one game. And uh, so I'm going to be intrigued, though, about watching Newton on Illinois just highlights from other games to see if he creates that same havoc. He he was so good in that game. Let's get to um, Alex in Loretto, who says, T. Frank, I know Aller isn't as bad as Clifford when it comes to happy feet, but how worried should we be about Aller's completion percentage when he's under pressure? He's good in the clean pocket, but when the pressure mounts, his footwork seems to break down. Seems to be the case for a lot of quarterbacks, but what's your concern yeah. level? for uh, Drew Aller. So it's it's kind of if you've ever had a chronic illness, <laughs> it's the same it's management. It's it's management of the situation. And I've uh developed a good relationship with uh, Brad Mandler, his quarterback. He's been on the YouTube channel several times, had a lot of good conversations. So I'm not going to get into the details of those things because I understand now what I don't know about quarterback footwork, but generally speaking, when Aller gets into trouble, it is when he feels pressure, and it's not always when he's pressured. It's when he feels sped up. And he's worked a lot and a long time. This is all the way back, Jim, to what we talked about Aller on this podcast uh, about Aller in high school is 
Sometimes his footwork breaks down, and when his footwork breaks down, his accuracy suffers. He is immeasurably better than he used to be, but it is still a journey towards that, and it probably will be his whole career. He's not always going to be a perfectly accurate quarterback. You know, kind of the comparison of Ethan Grunkmeyer is a bit of a robot. Like, he is unbelievably consistent in most situations, under pressure, not under pressure. Aller, there's a little bit of a wiggle there. There's a little bit of a wobble, but he never fully breaks down. And that's what you got to love from him. So, um, yes, you should keep an eye on it. But I wouldn't think to myself, this is going to be the end of his career because he has shown that he has overcome these things and he's able to work through them. And just generally about him, he adapts and evolves once he finds something in his game that's a weakness. Very good, T. Frank. That's it for quarter number three. Come back, quarter number four. T. Frank's going to name our winner. And we're going to look ahead to Iowa. Stay tuned for that. Are you a company that is passionate about athletics and wants to tap into the Penn State sports community? Maybe you're a community organization in State College, Center County, Pennsylvania, or even planet Earth. Are you interested in growing your brand and leveraging our YouTube and podcast platform? Or are you just a person that has some money to spend? If you're any of those things, or something I didn't bring up just now, consider advertising on the Blue White Illustrated YouTube show. We have a dedicated and passionate audience that is just waiting to hear from you. Through, through me, talking about your business on the show. That, that's how we do it. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, email Michelle Delee Hamilton at Michelle at ComanPub.com. That's Michelle at ComanPub.com. We're waiting to hear from you through me talking about you again. That's how we do it. Hello and welcome back to the Keystone kickoff show. It's quarter number four. He's T Frank. I'm Jim T Frank. Before we get to Iowa, let's start with our winner from our ask T Frank segment. Who's it going to be? It was a toss up between Alex and Loretto and Matt in Massachusetts, but we talked about Matt's question for so long that I couldn't get to the full answer for Alex. So Matt's our winner, but I do want to follow up with something about Alex's question about happy feet. So Aller missed some throws and we haven't really talked about all of the things he didn't get right from a visual perspective because Joel Klatt did a good job of highlighting the missed opportunities on the actual broadcast. So like, just know we're not trying to paint a rosy picture. It's like everyone knows that information is kind of how I, I view that stuff. But secondarily, when you look at 48% completion percentage, if you look at his adjusted completion percentage, which takes away the fact that he had a lot of dead looks where he had to throw the ball away or drops by the receivers, and it's actually 66% completion percentage on throws that were viable, that had life to them, that is much higher than 48%. It's still off of his 90 or 98% or 92% or whatever it was the first two weeks, but he set such a high bar that when he has one of these games that's like every other quarterback, it um it is noticeable. So I just wanted to point that out. The last thing I'll say, and I don't want to just completely ignore the the stuff that he missed. We're starting to learn Drew Aller, his personality, his profile as a quarterback. He's got a big arm, but is he a conservative quarterback? Because he takes the easy access throws, good decision, but he he's not big play hunting all the time. That's something I'm watching. I'm not saying he is conservative. I'm not saying he's turning down big plays because he's afraid of interceptions. I'm saying I'm noticing a trend that he is very safe with the football. Does that, where does that lead us in the future? So just pin that in the back of your mind. 
and we'll see together how that happens against a team like Iowa that plays a lot of zone coverage. That's a great segue. Let's talk about Iowa and their you zone like that? coverage. Yes, I, I really do. Yeah, help me along. So here, here's the first question on Iowa. Here's what I've always heard Iowa. They play their zone defense. Eyes mm-hmm. are always on the quarterback. That's how they get force all these turnovers, T. Frank. Yep. Is that accurate? Yes. And let's get a little bit deeper on that so that we understand how they're able to do that. So um, first off, great zone discipline, great teaching of zones and the why behind the what. So you're not just playing your zone, you're understanding route concepts and you have the ability to play your zone and then break on the football because you have the confidence of knowing I'm not getting burned by something behind me. So that's a big part of zone coverage is you can put guys in conflict. You can put zone defenders with, you know, a high low or create a triangle of different players they have to cover. So they have to make a choice. And uh, Iowa's players are really disciplined and they understand the deeper levels of these things. But they're also able to do this because they make the decision. We are going to control the line of scrimmage with four players. Our defensive line is going to stop the run, be big, physical Iowa defenders. A.J. Epinesa was 280 pounds when he played at Iowa. He's 256 in the NFL. He's like in the 250s. So, like, they make the choice. You're going to be a big, beefy defensive lineman, and we're going to stop the run. We may sacrifice some speed and some ability to get to the quarterback at an elite level. You remember Epinesa, and he's a great example because he was 250 pounds before they made him 280. And when he was that guy, he was a speed rusher. He was hard to handle. So they are going to stop the run, use power to get to the quarterback, and make it really hard because they can play four and then have perfect zone coverage. So that's what you're going up against every single year. And it's the question of, and the balance of, did they get the right guys to play that way? Did they get the guys to stop the run? Did they get the athletes and the smart football players to play that zone coverage correctly? Or is there somewhere you can attack and target to force them to be wrong or physically make them wrong by being faster or more athletic than they are? Okay, so now that we know that's what they do, what does Penn State do on offense to counteract that kind of defense? Block for the quarterback. Just keep Drew Aller clean. This is a situation where I thought if if, if, uh, Illinois – played zone and played cover three and they allowed Aller to scan the field and throw, they were in for trouble because he has shown that when he's the pocket is clean, his vision is clear and he's looking downfield, you give him something to step up into, he can find the open receiver. And no zone coverage is perfect. As Aller has said himself, you've got to give up something in every zone coverage or in every defensive every defensive coverage so if you give him enough time he'll find it and he'll just he'll he'll pick it apart we saw that in week one against uh, against west virginia they were a much less disciplined secondary so this one is going to be a different level of a challenge for him he might have to fit the ball in some tight windows he might have to and this is again we talked about like he is very safe with the football so is he going to show us some of that athletic hubris where he's going to throw the ball over a linebacker on a rope to get the ball to a receiver. The Dante Cephas throw that was incomplete was an awesome throw. He fitted into a window. The receiver slipped and didn't wasn't in position to catch the football. But that was a great throw because it showed me a couple of things. He's willing on third down to be the guy. And then he had the ability to execute it. 
He's going to need some of those throws in this game and to keep him clean and to keep his eyes downfield. That's the task of the offense and the offensive line. And then the receivers, you got to run your routes. You got to get open. You got to find the holes in the zone because Aller will find you. And that's, that's been the profile so far in his game. When we watched this Illinois game, it was about putting extra people in the box, T. Frank. Mm -hmm. With Iowa, you talked about a four-man rush, able to stop the run, and then you have the you know seven guys back zoning it. Yeah. Do they do they blitz or do they want to force you to throw the ball into their zone? And are they looking? Is Iowa and everybody else looking at the game film from Illinois and saying? gee, there's something we could learn there. Well, there's there's something from every game plan and every film that teams will try and pick up on later. And, you know, playing press man coverage, you can, you can chuck receivers and play a zone. So if you're saying get hands on Keandre Lambert-Smith, even if he's in the slot, you can do that and play zone. Um, I haven't watched the defense enough to know, like, what are they majoring in this year? Because there's cover three, there's cover four, there's cover six. There's different ways you can split up the field. Three deep versus two deep. Traditionally, they are a two deep safety system, but they can rotate to three. Nobody is one thing. Nobody's monolithic. You have to play a little bit of every coverage. So do they play more three and drop a safety down in the box to play the run? That's entirely possible. That's something that Penn State may have to deal with. But primarily, they're going to try and stop the, the run with their traditional numbers so that they can play those zones and keep a lid on the explosive passing attacks and the RPOs, which stretch and bend these zone coverages because your, uh, your natural instinct as a, as a defender from pop Warner, it's bred into you stop the run and 90% of the plays in high school are run plays. So you've got to come downhill first step downhill. So when you run an RPO or a play action, it is taking advantage of nature of defenders to make them step forward into their gap. And that's where you create those big windows. You've got to be able to threaten enough with a run game so that Iowa doesn't have to overreact. Cause that's another part of where they're really good is their linebackers are patient. They're big enough and strong enough that they don't have to fly downhill to win with speed. So they can force you to, to run the ball and not pull and throw. So you've got to make them pay if they do play with patience and get to the second level, get JB Nelson on a guard and make it a long day for those guys. So there's, it's the cat and mouse game. It's the matchup perspective of is Penn state's interior and their, their run game physical enough that they can play with the big boys. There were, there was evidence of that against Illinois. And I know that fans won't believe that, but if you go back and you watch JB Nelson and Hunter Norzad, their ability to move the center or sorry, the nose tackle they got great movement in their zone, uh, in their zone game against some of the interior guys. Jerzon Newton was singularly a problem, and uh, that is obvious. But against the other guys, Penn State had some success on the interior. Hunter Norzad, J.B. Nelson, Salim Wormley, Caden Wallace, those guys have to make room and get to those blocks. And I think that there's an opportunity for them to do that more this year than they have in the past. So you can, if you can do that, you can break Iowa's defense. And you can, you can force them to do things they don't want to do. Let's go to the other side of the ball. Let's talk about uh, Iowa's offense. They've been yeah. challenged for a long time. I guess my question is, is, do they just say, you know what, offense, just don't lose the game for us. We'll let the defense win it. Or are they just not talented enough to put up points? A little column A, a little column B. You recruit to what you can do, right? I guess you, 
or I don't know this to me from a philosophical, you're asking a philosophy question about football. And for me, I'm a person in my whole life that I'm, why would you dream of average? Why would you aim for that? Why would you aim for conservative? If you end up there, <laughs> oh, okay, but you should try and not be one dimensional. And there's a lot of, okay, we're going to, we're going to decide to be this. Now, can Iowa recruit five-star receivers and quarterbacks? Traditionally, they have not been able to do that, but they've also run an offense that makes those guys allergic to going to Iowa. I don't really know the answer to that. So that, that's really a philosophical chicken or the egg, a lot of soft skill, off-the-field situational stuff. But what they do is they run the ball, they run the ball, they run the ball, and then they play play action off of that. I was watching Western Michigan. They ran three tight ends a whole bunch. But when they threw the football, they went five wide. So there's a little bit of an evolution here. There's a little bit of an evolution here. But you look at Western Michigan, what they did, and I'm just kind of cluing in because I've literally watched maybe a half. So I'm just getting to know this a little bit. They doubled the tight ends in passing situations, and Cade McNamara he melted down a little bit. Like he had to go to a different read. He wasn't prepared to come off that and find another receiver. So they rely on their tight ends for a whole lot. Their receivers are a vestigial organ at times on this offense. So are they going to rely on those guys? It's Penn's going to force them to do that. They've got the linebackers for coverage. That's going to be a matchup. Um, they lost one of their uh, tight ends, I think. You know, one of their top tight ends. I have to dig into it. I don't know specifically. I just saw the photo of him in a boot. That's, that's going to be a, a, a part of this matchup as well. So can they threaten Penn State on the middle of the defense? And do they throw to the receivers enough to throw Penn State off kilter of nobody was expecting them to actually throw to those guys? That's going to be one of the, you know, watching the film, finding out all the things they do through three weeks is more of, you know, what's what's tasked for the rest of the week for me to, to have a clear view going in so that it doesn't look like a car crash when I'm watching it live. That's that's really what film study is for me is like just have enough landmarks to know, OK, I kind of know what's coming so that when something else happens, I can figure it out in the moment, because otherwise. I'm with the rest of you. Like it is just, it's hard to figure out sometimes. Uh, my understanding is the tight end is out for the game. Uh, T Frank, as we're recording, it's a 14 point spread. How about your prediction for the game? <sighs> I am going to stall until we run out of time. I have to fill for 15 <laughs> seconds. I'll not say pencil. <laughs> I'm going to give a similar situation. I think it's a similar, similar game to last week. 30, I, 35 was my prediction last year. So I'll go. 31 to 17, Penn State. Very good. Right on the number, T. Frank. That is it for the show. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. <laughs>